Hello, and welcome to the OnTIC Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Fred Burton, the Executive Director of the OnTIC Center for Protective Intelligence. During my years as a counterterrorism agent with the U.S. State Department and time spent as a physical security expert in the private sector, I've seen it all and met many fascinating people along the way. This podcast series explores the riveting world of protective intelligence through conversations with leaders in the security field. I'm Fred Bergen, and now on to the podcast. Hi, I'm Fred Burton here today with C.K. Redlinger. C.K. serves as the Vice President over Business Continuity, Corporate Security, and Real Estate for Bluecora and its subsidiaries a Van Tax and Tax Act. CK's background spans law enforcement, where he served as a homicide detective in Metro Atlanta, to a SWAT team sniper, to special operations training instructor. Additionally, CK has worked on a dozen movie and TV productions as a technical advisor, stunt performer, and actor. CK, welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you so much, Fred. I really appreciate it. CK, you have a very unusual and some would say amazing career. How did you get into the corporate security space? Well, corporate security certainly wasn't anything that I was daydreaming about as a child. Um, I I definitely wanted to be a Marine like my mom and dad and wanted to be a cop like my brother. And uh, so I pursued those avenues uh, first off and one led to the next. And then um, after a pretty long stint overseas in the in the contracting world. Uh, it was time to come back to the U.S. And once I landed back over here and was doing some, still kind of easing out of the contract work, um, an old Marine buddy from about 30 years ago who was a, a VP at a uh, company contacted me and told me about some some troubles that had come up. And they wanted to start a corporate security department within that company. And uh, he he wanted me to move out to Dallas and, and head that up. And so that was about four years ago. And so since then, um, I've absorbed a couple of other departments within the company and um, we're going strong. That's awesome. And I know that you've spent a lot of time breaking down silos between corporate security and various business units, which I know is one of those, some would say, problematic or thorny issues in this space. Can you talk us through how you've been successful at doing that? Yeah, it's 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 always been kind of one of those fundamental things that I learned a long time ago, um, probably as a young Marine, and um, and just understanding, in 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 my opinion, anyways, that that was kind of just a natural thing you wanted to do, whether you were, you know, part of a task force and you wanted to kind of make sure there was good rapport and relationships between those different supporting elements. Or uh, even when I got into law enforcement and started to work into work in the concept of uh, of, of task forces there, where maybe you're, maybe you're working on a, a federal task force and they're bringing in all these different specialized people from different agencies because they all have these specific talents that they want to bring into this one entity. And so it was just kind of a natural thing that I learned throughout my career. And I just kind of always used it as a tool um, whenever I was stepping into a new role. And so even when I was um, 
overseas in the contracting world, um, I use this to, to my success and my team's success. And so it only seemed normal that when I got into the corporate uh, sector and started to, um, to, to look at how I could bring some value to, um, to the company that these things seemed like they were there, which they normally are until a group of people, you know, decided to take it on. And so that's exactly what we did. And, um, we did it not only at the, uh, at the company level of, of trying to get different supporting elements working together like a task force. Um, but I also did it within my own teams where, um, we had, you know, corporate security and we had business continuity and we had uh, real estate and facilities who, who do have some overlap normally, but maybe they're not planning together every day and so on. So I just kind of brought that together so that they could uh, have some mutual aid and kind of force multiply one another. Yeah, that's uh, a very interesting concept. I've had, uh, from a historical perspective, I was part and parcel to a lot of the first uh, joint terrorism task forces that were put together. And it's amazing what can get accomplished if uh, folks uh, decide to leverage those strengths across multiple disciplines and bring them all to the table yeah it's it's such a um it's such a shame that's you know even even in this country in so many different places um whether it's local law enforcement or or even at the federal level like you know well um there's still these these uh, these walls that are just been there for decades that um people get conditioned to having and normalize them and then once you are able to maybe go in and, and collaborate with people and build those relationships to bring those down, it, it's kind of like having the blinders taken off. You know, like, how did we do this for so long with these walls up? There was an exercise out in the San Francisco Bay Area called Urban Shield that um, that I worked pretty closely with, and then I helped bring that model into the uh, uh, the State Department's ATA uh, piece. And what was really amazing about that is is you know back in the day the san francisco bay area is made up of so many different jurisdictions smaller police departments and sheriff's offices and they they finally decided that well hey you know we have earthquakes out here for example and why wait for an earthquake to happen to suddenly start reaching out and saying hey we need you know bulldozers from the private sector and we need to make sure that our communications um are, are reaching just beyond our own department and they're reaching, you know, this sheriff's office that's 30 miles away. And, 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 and then we need to like figure out how, you know, what, what's going to be the, um, you know, the operations center for when these things happen. And so that urban shield model was really interesting to see jurisdictions kind of knock those walls down and, um, and then see it, they, they kind of spread it out. And if you think back to like the Boston um, bombing, that happened several years ago. Um, the Urban Shield exercise had been there operating uh, through a couple of iterations, and before that, those firefighters and police officers and EMT workers in the Metro Boston area would tell you that, "Hey, we we never talked to that township over there. You know, we always kind of had this rivalry with them." But once they started to have these exercises that required them to get to know each other, that you know, they built these relationships, became friends, exchanged phone numbers. And then when something 
significant as the the Boston bombing, um, the Boston Marathon bombing occurred, they it was second nature for them to be able to cooperate and kind of force multiply and um, and bring that to a conclusion with obviously the bringing those two subjects into custody. So um, I, I think it it works everywhere. Um, it's just a, a matter of being an action taker and, and taking those necessary steps to get to that point. Yeah, and a fair amount of a mindset shift too when it comes to that kind of coordination. And it's almost like at times, uh, CK, what I've seen with the larger the company, at times it's it's more difficult to accomplish because there's so many different moving parts. Having said that, I've seen a fair amount of dysfunction at uh, smaller companies as well over the course of my career. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I think there's there's also kind of a natural um, aversion of some people, especially, I mean, you think about how busy people are or people make themselves uh, in the corporate sector. And sometimes when you're, maybe you have an idea, you want to, you want to kind of, um, you know, break down some silos or you maybe want to create, you know, kind of a, a threat assessment team or something. And, you know, you're, you're heading up the corporate security department, but you want to, you want to pull in the legal side, you want to pull in HR and so on. But maybe they're just, they just seem so busy and they always have their own initiatives and so on. Sometimes I feel like, um, instead of approaching people with the concept and, you know, they might hear your concept and think, oh, this is just a pipe dream and I'm too busy to get involved with this. Sometimes if you will kind of build out your own framework and start operating it, it's a lot easier to kind of invite people into something that's already got some, got some shape or some tangibility to it. And um, I've used that a few times to, when you have that kind of more stubborn environment where people are, or systems are really kind of set in their ways and, and, you know, built over years. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little about Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of protective intelligence, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. This is why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. We're regularly sharing strategies and best practices, insights learned from current and historical trends, as well as lessons learned from physical security experts like you. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. Now let's switch gears and talk a little bit about you were very much a part of uh, a program that I know a fair amount about, and that's the State Department's uh, Anti-Terrorism Assistance Program. That uh, came about during my time period in the 80s when uh, I was a State Department agent. And a lot of people don't understand how successful that program is. Can you touch on a little bit about some of the accomplishments that uh, you were successful in pulling off with uh, ATA? Yeah, sure. Um, ATA was a really great period of, of my career. Um, I learned so much. And just because it's such a 
by design, it's such a collaborative environment. I mean, you're, you're essentially um, working to help bolster and build up, you know, our foreign partners, um, law enforcement, counterterrorism capabilities. And so um, with that, it means you're going to be working with a lot of different people. So the, the model that we had in Jordan when I was the program manager there um, was a little bit different than some of the other um, some of the other projects in the in the portfolio around the world. But the biggest reason was is well, you know, Jordan is pretty centrally located and they're a great ally. And um, you know, they're right next door, obviously, to Iraq and in the region of, of Afghanistan and so on. But there's it was a troubled neighborhood and there's a lot of partners there that that we were trying to help. Um, even even beyond the Middle East and you know, into Africa. And so um, because King Abdullah II is such a great partner of the United States, and he's actually a, uh, a former commando. He used to um, command the, the, the 71st uh, counterterrorism unit for Jordan before he became uh, the king. And so because of that kind of background, he sees the value and, um, and, and you know, building up these, these, um, these units so that they can, you know, help protect their citizens. And if you think back to, um, like in, in Kenya, I think it was back in 2013 or something when they had the, uh, the Westgate mall, yeah, um, massacre where I think four mass gunmen went into the mall, upscale mall in Nairobi and, uh, murdered about 68 people. And one of the issues there was, is, um, there, there was a lot of kind of disjointed responsibilities for who was going to handle, you know, incidents that occurred at this level, you know, were the police going to do it, were the military going to do it. And, um, and so ATA, and uh, unfortunately, I got to actually go in on the tail end of that into uh, Kenya and help with some exercises there. But ATA was really good about going in with that foreign partner and bringing in subject matter experts, teams of instructors, putting on these courses. And, you know, after the course comes, maybe there would be a complement of equipment, you know, to go with that course, specialized equipment, and just really build up the capability of, of that foreign unit so that they could protect their citizens. And so the, the interesting thing about um, doing that in Jordan was we had a lot of training uh, locations there in Jordan. And so we would act as a regional hub. So we would have on any given month, I mean, we would have teams from Africa coming in. We would have teams from other areas of the Middle East, even as far out as uh, Pakistan. And um, we would bring maybe one course of people would be for, you know, detecting, um, you know, passport fraud or something like that. And, uh, you know, another one would be EOD or Another one would be SWAT, and we would bring those teams of American instructors over to to, uh, to train them, get them up to speed. So um, ATA was definitely a force multiplier for our foreign partners, and, and there's been some great success stories around the world. No doubt. Uh, I have uh, on my bookshelf a signed book from the king uh, when he was the crown prince and in college here in the United States. Uh, we kept an eye on him. Uh, so 
I know that special relationship exists between our two nations, and we certainly need partners like that. And and so does, as you and I both know, American business interests around the globe. You you have to have strong partners like this if you're trying to work internationally. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, King, King Abdul is a pretty interesting character. Um, I mean, just as a side note, he he actually appeared in a episode of Star Trek. If, uh, <laughs> if you didn't know that, but uh, um, there's a facility in Jordan called the uh, called Kasodic or Kasodic, whatever pronunciation you want it to be, but it stands for King Abdullah Special Operations Training Center. And uh, when uh, I was I was working for a company called Triple Canopy um, back in the early days of uh, what 2004 through um, I guess around 2008. And uh, um, after I left them, I was brought on board for the the original instructor team that was standing up this this special operations training center there in Jordan and. Um, it was a U.S. funded entity and the, the concept was to make it the uh, center of excellence for counterterrorism and really uh, <clears throat> bring in units from all over the world, our, you know, our, our allies and really get them used to working together. And there was just tremendous technology built into this facility, which was essentially a, a quarry. It was just a big hole in the ground. And um, that was advantageous because it allowed us to have, you know, kind of 360 degree live fire um, shooting exercises. And then they dropped in uh, all these different uh, structures and training apparatuses. Like we had our, we had a, a huge uh, aircraft there that we could use for linear assaults and things like that. But King Abdullah um, used to love to come out there and he would come out there and shoot with us and, uh, bring his son who is, who's the crown prince and is actually all grown up now and becoming quite the warrior himself. But yeah, he's, he's a, he's definitely a, uh, a down to earth guy. He'll never miss, never miss an opportunity to shake your hand, never miss an opportunity to stop and talk to you. And that's the way I found him to be with a, a lot of, uh, a lot of his citizens as well. CK, let's switch gears here. You've worked on a dozen movie and TV productions as a technical advisor, stunt performer, and also an actor, which is simply amazing. How in the world did you get into that? Well, that is a funny story. So I was just talking about Kasadik, the, the the training center there. Um, I was um, I moved from instructor over to the ops side, and I was. Um, helping build the, the the users that were coming in and so on. And uh, Jordan itself had kind of a, a flourishing film industry there um, starting off around that same time because uh, Hollywood and the UK wanted to make war movies and uh, they wanted to do it in a safe place that kind of looked like uh, the real deal. And so Jordan seemed to be the location they were going after. And um, Zero Dark Thirty, the movie about the takedown of Osama bin Laden, that production started filming in Jordan. And so they approached us and said, Hey, we got all these, um, these actors that we need to train up that, uh, you know, need to walk and talk and act like, uh, seals. And so they wanted to use our facility to do that. So it was kind of how the first touch point occurred. And then after I helped arrange some things like that from time to time, I, I just accidentally became this kind of go-to person. Um, on the film side for the technical advising and 
in training locations and so on. And so that kind of blossomed into um, me being just kind of passed around when different productions would come in into town. They would say, yeah, you go talk to the CK guy. Uh, he'll, he'll train your actors for you and so on. And then um, came to my attention that uh, they were, um, they were always having to bring in stunt performers um, from out of the country because there wasn't really any in country. And so then I kind of hatched this idea after I became friends with a stunt coordinator, a stunt coordinator out of the UK. Um, I said, well, since this film industry is kind of flourishing here in Jordan, they got camera people and they got makeup people and so on. Um, let's try to help them out and, and build a, a stunt capability. So, um, he worked with me and we trained up, um, some local Jordanians who were interested in, uh, in the film industry and wanted to be stunt performers. And we kind of took them along the way. And almost 10 years later, they're actually doing really well. And they have, uh, they're, they're kind of a stunt team that works together and they have probably about 20 international movies under their belt. And, uh, so we're, we're really proud that we were able to do that for Jordan before I, before I left there. But, uh, but that was, that's how it all started. And it just, uh, you know, it's kind of like once you get a foothold, um, and people, be, you become a known quantity of people and you're trustworthy and, and can produce something, then they just kind of keep coming back to the well. well. That's a great story. CK, is there anything that I haven't asked you that you would like to say? No, I would just, well, I would say that, you know, for all the, all the folks out there who are in the corporate security sector or maybe, business continuity or, or whatever the case is, um, you know, I, I've always kind of been a believer of the silver linings concept of, you know, finding um, fortune and misfortune. And, you know, there's, of course, there's the old saying is never miss the opportunity to take advantage of a crisis, you know, kind of, kind of the same thing. But I'd say that, you know, with, with COVID and, um, and this long journey it's taken us on over almost two years, there really has been a silver lining if if you seize the opportunity and that is to um you know to to break down some of those silos that may have existed in your your company because um it's forcing a, you know it, it's giving you the opportunity to do that and that's that's exactly what I was able to do with our real estate team facilities and, and business continuity now people in the company have gotten so used to seeing those entities operate together. And of course, whether you had a crisis team that you created to deal with COVID throughout the pandemic and you brought in, you know, your communications team and you, you know, you brought in elements of your HR and so on. That's to me is the, the silver lining. It, it really gave us an opportunity to break down some of those silos that exist in your company. So I, if, if you haven't started doing that yet, take advantage of the circumstances is what I would say. Very prudent advice. C.K. Redlinger, thank you so much for being on the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by A.J. McKeon. Our music is a track called Monte Verde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow.
and performed by Smokin' Novas. Check them out on Spotify. Please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.ai or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. I'm Fred Burton. Thanks for listening.